One out, nobody on. The playoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three called to the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome back to the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Vibber, and I'm joined as always by Chad Young and Niv Shaw. On this episode, it's been a while, but we're back and we're going to talk about OPL. It's still happening, but we figured it would be a good time to sort of do a review of how things have gone so far, what our experiences were, some takeaways that we had, and sort of some updates on how the playoffs are going to proceed here over the next uh, month or so. Niv, why don't I have you start? I wanted to just sort of ask you, yeah, from your perspective as the 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 one who runs Autonew and created OPL, Autonew Prestige League, how have things been? How did what's your reaction to how things have gone so far? Man, it has been really fun. I think there there are definitely some things I have reservations about, and we can get into that next. But I just want to start it out by saying, um, it's awesome. Like. The engagement has been really good. It's been really fun to talk about in the Slack. And I think there's been a lot of second level and third level thinking that I've been really impressed by. And a lot of people still sort of grappling with the optimal strategies for the game. You know, it being a best ball game and having these uh, snapshot moments where your roster is frozen has turned into like you know, the strategic moments that I wanted, like, that I wanted to come out of that have really, like, taken root. And so it's been, I think, really fun. Like, some teams have really gone for it. Some teams have been really aggressive. I don't think we have anyone who, in the final 16, that looks, like, blatantly in a weak league or playing with, like, stacked roster or anything. I know those were some concerns at the beginning. Like, we have some really good teams left, obviously, but all earned their way there, and they have made some pretty interesting trade-offs and sacrifices to get there, I think. And, you know, that was sort of the name of the game. Like, the idea is to give the top teams something else to aspire for, to give teams a little bit more to engage on, even if they're uh, running away with their regular season uh, auto-new fantasy baseball title, and to give lower-seeded teams actually a better chance at rebuilding by incentivizing teams to continue buying, even if their home league is decided or, or however you want to put it. So I'm really happy with that stuff. How have you guys liked it so far? I mean, Chad, you're still in the middle of it. Yeah, I hate it now because I'm losing. <laughs> <laughs> I've loved it up until now. No, yeah. it's been great. It's been, uh, it certainly has forced me to make decisions I wouldn't have otherwise made. And I've sold some some pieces and made some trades and made some cuts that that I regret. I mean, and I shouldn't say regret. That's the wrong way to say it. I regret them in terms of what they mean for my team long term and in terms of, in some cases, what they mean for my team in League One, in my home league. But they were the right moves to make and they put me in a position to, to, to get to the you know round of 16 and theoretically I could still make the quarterfinals. It's, it's pretty unlikely at this point, but it, you know, crazier things have happened. I will say that OPL is a lot more fun while you still have teams in the contest. <laughs> you know, it's it's 
I was really hoping I had four entries. I was really hoping I could squeeze one of them into the top 32 to get in the playoffs, and I and I did not. All my teams, I had two in the top 100, and the other two finished just outside that cutoff for the top 100. So, no, nah, I won't say it wasn't a successful OPL season, but I, I sure wish I could have got at so least let, one playoff. Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to sort of put you on the spot here, but, like, do you feel like you did something wrong? Do you feel like there's something you should have done differently? Yeah. Yeah, I think I was more, and, and we were sort of, you know, we're, we were going to touch on this, so I think it's a conversation we're going to come back to later as well. But for me, I think it was I built the teams and sort of focused my attention more on surviving each round, and it got to a certain point where I feel like once the top 100 was going on, the two teams that were in that round, I just didn't have enough firepower that I had pushed enough of my attention to later in the contest that I had focused so much on early in the contest, just survive, survive, survive with the idea that if I just survived long enough, then it's just a luck of the draw, right? Once you get down to the playoffs, it's kind of, there's so much variance, but I fell short of getting one of my entries into the playoffs. So I think in that sense, what that was one of my mistakes was focusing too much on doing well early because with that, 75% 75% reduction in points from round to round. So whatever you scored in round one, yeah, you only got 25% of those points really? carried over into the next round. And and then from round two into round three, it it really over-indexes the performance later in the contest rather than early in the yeah, contest. Yeah, so, so there's a couple things there. Like, I, it, it definitely... I don't know if over-indexes later in the contest is right. More, it's like your present performance is more important than your right. past, right? And like not not over index in the sense that it was a mistake right. to to plan it that way, but no, no, I just mean, that that's the reality of the reality of it is that each round, in order to survive it, you really got to do well in that round. And we did a lot, and a lot of math was discussed in the Slack to talk about how I don't think any team was able to carry into round four because of a round two performance, right? Like round two points, like that seventy five percent reduction. Look, it still gives you help if you're if you had a great round one, but nobody uh, is going to make a round without doing well in the round that they're in. Like there nobody's going to make the next two, round. Two, there were like two or three teams yeah, maybe that were two. outside the top thirty-two of round three, but inside the top thirty-two overall. Two, or, I right. can't remember if it was two or three, but they were all like top thirty-five to forty of round right. three. They're right, not so it's super like, far off, and, and they had and they monster were, first rounds. Right? right, I was gonna say their their round one and round two were were really strong. So, if you um, have truly elite round one and round two, and you have a very good but maybe not quite good enough round three, your round one and round two could, in that case, be enough to push you over and get you in. Right, right. but if you're anything less than elite in the first two rounds, they're not going to help you. And if you're anything less than knocking on the door of the playoffs in the third round alone, your first two rounds aren't going to help you. Like you could, you could have by far the best scores in rounds one and two. And if you're fiftieth in round three, it's probably not going to be enough. Right. So, so I think that, I think that works the way you want it to from a greater perspective, uh, or the way I wanted to, from a greater perspective, because it really incentivizes you to continue building. You can't sit on your laurels. You can't say. Oh, I'm already in. If you're if you're seeing your team slip just a little bit, that pressure is always on you. And I think that's going to be not necessarily like I, I think that played out a little bit this year. But I think in future years, a lot of this stuff is going to become compressed and more interesting because you're going to have to qualify. 
these teams are not going to be a joke. There's not going to be the pushovers like me <laughs> or whatever. The teams that don't aren't set up for great success going into it, and we can get into that in a little bit. But between those two things and then the need to constantly not just say my round two was good, so round three will be fine, but to constantly be addressing it, teams that want to win the Prestige League in 2022 and beyond are going to really have to buy maybe overbuy than they would for their home league, and that's going to be... I think a good dynamic for a lot of home leagues. Yeah, I think. And then, the, we'll, oh, go ahead, Chad. So along those lines, I think, and this is getting back a little bit to what Justin was saying about working so hard to survive. I, I took a very different approach where I, from the beginning, felt like if my team wasn't good enough to survive rounds, round one for sure, and probably round two without a lot of excess effort, then the excess effort wouldn't be worth it. That like you have to have a good enough base of a team to survive those rounds without going crazy trying to survive it, at least this year, to even have a shot at round three. And as a result, I didn't I didn't like I didn't use my trade chips. I didn't make my big moves. I didn't really push until somewhere in the middle of round two when I realized, oh, I could make round three. And then it was like, all right, now I'm gonna go all in. Now I'm gonna see if I can make my team good enough to get over the top in round three. And I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure it was a strategic thing. Part of it was I was sort of one foot in, one foot out because I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what to expect. So I thought, why, why make my team like in March? I wasn't thinking I'm going to make my team great for OPL because I didn't even know what that meant or how it would work. And so, as a result, yeah. I waited until May to make my team great for OPL, and that that worked out really well for me. I'm a little worried now, Justin, I'm messing up your agenda for today because I'm already getting into like lessons learned and stuff. But one of the things I'm a little worried about looking at next year is, well, I was doing it anyway. So (laughs) one of the things that that I'm worried about looking at next year, and this is what you were saying, Niv, about there won't be the pushovers. Everyone's going to sort of know what they're doing. Only good teams are going to enter, all this kind of stuff. I'm not sure the mindset of if your team's not good enough to make it out of this first round anyways will hold like i'm not sure that that'll be true next year this year i think it was this year it was like if you were in the bottom well i think i think 70 the, or whatever it was after round one you, yeah. you were there was nothing you could have done to push yourself into the top 170 that would have also made you good enough to have a shot at the top 32 it wasn't right. going to happen next year if things are compressed more because the talent level in OPL rises because of the qualification and because more people know what to do and because people are better prepared for it and stuff like that, that'll cease to be the case. And you will have to make those moves earlier just to survive and hope you get lucky at the right time. Yeah. And I think that's, that's totally right. I think it's the flip side of it is I think what it introduces is a little bit more variance all the way through, right? Maybe that's not the flip side. Maybe it's the same thing you're saying. But like, when everyone is really good and there's going to be a little bit more crossover or shared players or whatever, the variants of the edge cases are going to be more out, more like standout-ish and more impactful. And it's going to be interesting. I think I, I the thing I am hopeful for is that we get another 240 teams next year. I probably start at 120 again, like I did this year with an option to move to 240 like that that's required because of the legal restraints around the game that I have to set it up that way but I'm really hoping we can get another 240 but fully qualified top six this year teams you know we're going to try to weed out anyone with custom rules and and it's still going to be 12 team leagues only so we'll see we'll see if we can get the same feeling because I think it'll be 
it'll be a really exciting first round. And I think the first round this year was a little bit, you know, no one knew what they were getting into. And I think next year it'll be more like no one, a lot of good teams will not actually know if they're good enough. Like there's no way of knowing if you're good enough in a sense, because you've all qualified and you're all pretty good and you're all trying to compete that year. Right. Um, yeah. I think there's going to be less variability in the the quality of those teams entering next year versus this year for sure. And, and I think it's also the informational aspect too, that we were all sort of playing this, this new format for the first time. And there was a lot of great do- work done. And we had Jason Mykoff on when, in our preview episode to talk yeah, about was some really of the things fun. he was looking at, you know, but I think there's a lot of that, that we're going to have takeaways at the end of this season and say, and look back and say, okay, so what really were the keys to a successful OPL, you know, deep run? Obviously, a lot of it's just injury luck, right? Like, I mean, there are teams that are going to win and lose this playoff round in the last playoff round, you know, because Kershaw hit the shelf because Carlos Rodon is going on the IL. I mean, that or or Chris Sale is coming back or things like that are going to be. I mean, those are out of anybody's control, but right. there's other structural things that I think there's going to be a lot of talk over the off season and leading into next year. How can teams build themselves structurally for OPL? And I think going back to Chad's question of me of like, the mistake I made, and I think that was the biggest thing was. He's right. It was better to to start making those structural changes once we had a little more information about what might work and what you know maybe doesn't work as well. And the other thing is is that you're not you're not making these changes in a vacuum. If I make three additions to my roster and every other team that survives into the next round in OPL made ten, I'm behind the eight ball, right? Because I'm competing against everyone else. I'm not just trying to make my team better. I'm trying to make it better in relation to everyone else in the contest. And I think that's where I fell short. I just didn't pound the pavement enough to improve my teams as they entered that, especially that top 100 round. I was disappointed that I fell short, but I think most of it was because I just didn't, I didn't do enough to try to improve my team from an OPL sense. And at the same time, you know, there's, there, those are those trade-offs that I think Niv has been hyping this whole time with OPL is, did I want to sacrifice the performance of my teams this year in the, in the core leagues did I want to sacrifice next year, right, and the year after to make a push in, in OPL? And it, it creates a lot of interesting competing incentives for a lot of these teams that have entries in OPL about what they're yeah, going to do. I mean, and then other other teams in their leagues as well, they can take advantage of some selling trades that maybe they couldn't have otherwise because that team would have already won the league. But now they're racing for OPL and they're actually still willing to buy because they have another secondary goal beyond just winning the home league. So. Yeah, and like the the prizes for OPL are 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 such that if you if you finish top sixteen or top eight, you could pay for all your auto new teams. You know, like it's 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 a pretty lucrative contest, and also the t shirt's gonna be dope. So sorry, Justin. Real real quick before we move on to the rest of the agenda, which I know we've touched on some of the stuff already, but I want to mention like you know the there are a couple things. I'm a little I, I can't say it's a hundred percent great. For OPL, I think, you know, we have to continue to monitor to make sure that we have the right kinds of teams playing it, teams that are, you know, skipping arbitration or using the five minor league, free minor leaguer rule, stuff that sort of deflates certain prices or makes the game just a little bit less punishing, I guess I would say. You know, we have to make, like, keeping an eye on that is always going to be a challenge. I think we did a pretty, we got pretty lucky this year because I didn't really keep a huge eye on it and I... I know, like, I caught her a little late. With 2020, the way it was, a lot of there's going to be a lot more custom rules coming into 2021 than there will be in 2022. The other thing, obviously, and, you know, I don't think we can have 
a pod without addressing that the 60 IL is just a total uh, mess up. Like it's yeah. just not a, it was just not well outside the intent. Right. And some of these guys that are on OPL rosters are just hilarious. Like guys that aren't coming back, guys that aren't any good at baseball, like in a, in a fantasy perspective, at least like obviously they're very good at professional baseball, but you know, guys that just aren't um, out They're outside the scope of what OPL is meant to, to track and meant to, measure i guess and so that's a little disappointing that people sort of latched on to the sort of gimmicky thing that in the end i think it's going to have like less of an impact than the people who touted it the loudest um thought it would you know i think uh there's definitely a impact that these 60 il players will play but the ones are gonna have the biggest impact are the ones that probably should have been stashed anyway in the original intent i guess of the rule to say it to say it that way um but the ones that some of these, some of these guys at the ends of rosters, like seventy-man rosters, like give me a break, guys. It became a really ridiculous arms race. I feel like with some of these teams. Yeah, and it like you know, and 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 once one team does it, everyone has to do it, and I understand why. And like Chad and I had a lot of conversations about that as it related to as it pertained to League One. And it's 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 not like you know it, it is what it is. Like it's I, I'm not like chastising anyone or anything. Like the rules allowed it, but they will not allow it next year. But you know I. I hope to, I guess it's just a way of saying, like, I hope to course correct Auto, Auto New Prestige League in enough of a way to be, like, really measuring um, the best GMs against the best GMs and not allowing, like, sort of uh, arms race loopholes that you can remember to participate in or forget or somebody else in your league. Like, you know, like that stuff, like with the 60 IL stuff, like, that's well outside the intent of the game, I should say. So... That was a little bit of a bummer, and I think you know a lot of people are probably regretting spending cap money on on guys that <laughs> are going to be ultimately worthless. But but overall, like I, I'm really happy with the engagement. I'm really happy that you know even though Justin, like you said, like I you know I finished 200th. I've been checking the scores page every day. Justin, you're like you don't have any playoff teams, and you're like it's a lot more fun when you have teams in it. But we're still tracking the scores, yeah. Especially when looking playoff, at those matchups, yeah. Especially once the playoffs started, because the playoffs have been really neat, and some of the tools like. I think Mikey Mod made a really great spreadsheet uh, that tracks the change of the score as every day as it goes, and I think that stuff is super dope. Like it's it's really fun to track the games like that, and people who aren't in the leagues anymore, like I think more people talk about it. It's such a unique, different kind of game. I, I, that part I think has been really successful. Yeah, because I mean, at this point, it's it's just as fun as a sort of a spectator event to see. Especially as we get down to like the quarters and semis, and then the finals, like there gonna be some good been, teams, man. Yeah, yeah. And, all, and, and like, and everyone's gonna be groaning at the same time because <laughs> yeah. something happens in that last day that puts somebody over the top. So yeah, yeah. I'm just ready for the ultimate bad beat of like a hit being changed to an error in the middle of Sunday night baseball or something dumb like that on the last yeah. day. <laughs> well, it came up on Slack. Was it today or yesterday? I was telling the story about I lost one of my leagues last year by four points because Yasmani Grandal hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth. And that was enough. That was it. That was the difference between me winning that title or, or finishing in second place. And I it's mean, gonna that's probably going to happen. Best you know? ball, because it's best ball. So it's like even more likely to happen in a sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, right. Because you could. You're not missing you could, any of the points. Right, exactly. And you could replace a, a big zero in your lineup with, with something a lot better. So, all right. The the next part that I wanted to cover real quick, because I did, when we did our preview episode, I did talk about the sort of the preseason projected power rankings that I did, where 
I looked at all of the entries, all 240 teams that were entered in OPL, and then using ATC projections, trying to have some sort of predicted points. I knew it wasn't going to be exactly the points they would score, but just sort of an analog for the strength of those teams. And then I ranked them one through 240. So another thing that I did is once the regular season, I'm calling it the regular season, the regular season of OPL wrapped up and we got to the playoff part, I took the ordinal ranks of the teams at that point and compared it against the power rankings I did in the preseason. So I just want to share some of that info right now. It's going to be nerdy number stuff, but I, I thought some of it was really interesting. So for teams that did actually make the playoffs in OPL, my preseason power ranks, they had an average rank of about 65th. The lowest ranked team that made the playoffs was 158th. So a team came from 158 to make the playoffs in the top 32. 13 out of the 32 playoff teams I had in my top 32 in the preseason and 21 out of 32 of the playoff teams I had in the top 100 in the preseason. For the next group, the teams that didn't make the playoffs but were top 100, they had an average power ranking of 79 in the preseason. And then 47 out of those 68 teams were in the top 100 in power rankings. All told, I also did a little Spearman's rank order correlation to determine the correlation between those preseason ordinal rankings and the what I'm calling the regular season rankings at that point in OPL was uh, 0.64, which is fairly strong. And I, I got to say, I'm pretty happy with the idea that, yes, there were structural benefits you could build with your team. And then there's all the variance during the season and all that that made the difference between teams that may, went deep and maybe got knocked out in certain phases of the contest. But 0.64 correlation is pretty good. Like I was able to, for the most part, identify the group of the best teams. And those teams were, for the most part, the ones that advanced um, pretty far in the contest. So, I mean, spoiler alert, I guess it's not no, no big announcement here that good teams, in, <laughs> projected good teams did well in OPL. But it's still nice to see some payoff with the correlation between just preseason rankings with ATC, a uh, very dumb method of ranking that I did, and then how those teams actually performed. So I'd be curious to see how like where there were errors, where there were lower ranked teams that made it through and stuff like that, is that correlated with holding prospects or something like that where they'd get hurt in the projections because there's not a lot of projection value in a guy who's not set to be in a major league roster, but the ability to trade those guys, improve your team later, meant that a team that looked like it was 158th or wherever you said – actually had the assets in place to move up to be a top 32 team obviously some of that you know 0.36 that isn't explained by the preseason projections is noise and randomness and players perform over underperforming i'm curious though there was such a rush and, and this is where i felt like i i benefited there was such a rush at the beginning of the season to make sure people didn't have dead roster spots by which i mean you know guys in the 10-day dl or uh guys in the 10-day il or prospects. And I sat on a bunch of those guys because I felt like I said at the beginning of this episode, my team was good enough to get into the out of the first round anyways, and I didn't need to optimize yet. And that put me in a position to go out and, and optimize much more effectively later. There were better players available on the trade market. There were, there was more I could spend my free agent dollars on in May than there was in April. And, and so I think that made a big difference. And I, I wonder if that's one of the big drivers of variation between preseason projection and actual performance. 
Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, if this was a set it and forget it contest where the team you start the season with is the team you're going to have all year, then, yeah, then it would be more beneficial to have that strong team on paper because you're that's the team you're rolling with all year. But you're right. It, those teams would have looked much poorer in my power rankings than they probably should have because – and it's the same thing with the surplus calculator. When you're looking at your team going into your season, I mean, prospects don't have any value in the surplus calc, so your team's going to look worse than it really is. But you have assets that you can leverage to improve your team. That's true in your standard home core league, and it's true in in the prestige league for sure. So, yeah, I think that could definitely be – I haven't looked at it in, in any detail yet – about which teams overperformed and underperformed the most, and if there's any lessons about the characteristics that those teams might share. It's definitely something I want to take a look at during the offseason to say, hey, okay, it looks like this is sort of the general theme of the teams that really overperformed, and this is the general theme of the teams that really underperformed. And then are there any lessons from that, whether it's the way they built their team structurally or things like you said, Chad, they had they had prospects, so they got dinged in their power rankings, but they had players they could move to improve by quite a bit. So, yeah, and, and I think those the biggest thing is just that, that pre, those preseason rankings are based on if your team is going to be static, and those teams weren't. And I think the very best teams that advanced the furthest in OPL, they they made a lot of moves, right? I think they improved their teams pretty dramatically, and I think those were the teams that performed the best were the ones that really put put their foot down on the pedal and, and hit the gas. So. All right. I, I meant to talk about this earlier, but it's sort of, I'll, I'll mention right now as a segue as we start to talk about some other things. But if we haven't mentioned it already right now, the round of 16, so the top 16 teams are, are in a playoff round right now that ends this Sunday, August 15th. The next round of the quarterfinals, these are all two-week rounds. So the next round is from August 16th through the 29th. The semifinals, the top four will be August 30th through September 12th. And then the finals, the top two teams, head-to-head matchup, Starts September 13th and ends September 26th. So there's going to so be that, a lot of popcorn that, eating. <laughs> that, avoid, that avoids the last week of the Major Yeah, League which Baseball I think season. is is a really good idea because you get a lot of the whole thing starts. And, yeah. That was the thing, man. When I It was like a sign from above or something when I like started scoping out how many weeks there would be after an All-Star break. And just it works. It just works perfectly to have a round of 32 and go all the way down. I was yep. like, oh, man, this is just perfect. And you don't have to play the last week. Man, I'm, I'm super excited for the for the semifinals and the finals. I think they're going to be just back and forth slugfests. Yeah. Anything else, anything that Chad or Niv that you wanted to talk about as far as what we what we learned from our experiences playing OPL? And then, you know, for me, I think that some of the theory crafting and some of the the lessons that I think the community started to come away from with OPL has a lot of application to, to just the standard leagues themselves that things like having positional flexibility is really important is probably something that's undervalued in, in the standard leagues. Even now, you know, are there any other lessons or, or takeaways you had from playing the contests that he, you wanted to mention? So I, I actually, I think people are, over indexing on how much they're like, I think people are over indexing on how much crossover there is with the home leagues. And I think that, you know, the, the players with additional positional flexibility is a great example where it's hugely, hugely important in OPL, right? I think as I'm building towards OPL next year, that is going to be one of my 
big, big focus is, is making sure, because that's how you make sure that everybody on your team who has a good day gets in your lineup. However, even on teams where I have very little positional flexibility, don't have a lot of multi-position guys, like you can still make your games played minimums pretty easily when you when you're because you're picking ahead of time right yeah so the the issue the advantage of the multi-position thing is much more retrospective where it's like oh i had four shortstops at home runs tonight but one's my shortstop one's my middle infielder one also qualifies at third base and the other also qualifies at second base or one of them is a util for this for this day or whatever like you don't make that choice ahead of time anyways you don't make like when you go into the game. Yeah, if, if a bunch of guys get hurt, a bunch of guys have off days, things like that. There is value. There is absolutely value in multiple position eligibility. But I think that it's with rosters as deep as Otterneu has. I think people are overreacting to what they saw in OPL with the multi position guys and how that translates back to standard leagues. I, I mostly agree with you. My only counter argument would be because of the way that lineups lock. I've found myself in situations where let's say I have two third basemen and the one I prefer to start is in my lineup. The one that I is the backup, he's playing in the early game, but I don't have him in my starting lineup because he's not as good as my starter. But then when the late lineups roll around, my starter isn't in the lineup. So now I don't have a third baseman to, to swap in. And that's where that position flexibility can be helpful. When you're in situations like that, it's more, you're right. It's, it's much more beneficial from a, a best ball format than it is in a, in a case where you're controlling in and out of the lineup. But I find a lot of times because of the early locks and then the late locks, I'm stuck at a position where I'm like, okay, well, I would have started my backup third baseman if I knew that the starter wasn't going to be playing that night, but I don't know that then. So you have to make that trade off of, do you just get a guy in because you need the, the lineup spot and you need the game filled or do you risk it that your starter is so, actually going to be playing that night? I know a lot of, projection systems i know surplus does uh, surplus calculator does this where you are looking at the rarest position a player plays right for when looking at their value yeah when like, I Ahmed, do the- like Ahmed rosario for example doesn't get a ton of benefit for being shortstop plus outfield right not the way i calculate the dollar value is correct right and so but the flip side of that is i think a lot of people sort of naturally and this is before opl i think a lot of people do naturally sort of add a buck or two for that fl- flexibility and, and that's sort of like uh, a little bit of using the logic, Justin, that you were just sort of talking about of being like, well, I'd like to have more options. And then, you know, setting a lineup is hard every day and having more options is generally better with rainouts and with, you know, days off, injuries, no, the all that COVID stuff. COVID issues we're having. COVID, now, yeah, all that, all that stuff. So, I, you know, we have a note here that's, and, and, and I, I kind of land on the side of Chad where I don't think it's undervalued in auto new home leagues, only because I think it's it's valued. I don't think it's not valued. And maybe it's not valued quite enough, which I guess would be the definition of undervalued. But it certainly feels like a lot of guys do get a boost, even though Ahmed Rosario is shortstop outfield. Having that outfield spot is, is, is still worth a, a little bit more, like worth bringing him up, worth paying an extra buck on him or whatever. But where it's really, where I think where we're going to see it go skyrocketing is the teams that are in OPL next year are going to jack all those prices way up. Like, you're going to be paying, you're going to be paying a premium if you want someone like Jeff McNeil's eligibility 
uh, second, third outfield, right? Or someone like like any mid, anyone with middle infield and outfield, which I know we've we've recovered we've covered on these podcasts in the past, like a, a, a weirdly common combination, right? And then you know, and the guys like like the dream right now is Betts getting second base or Tatis getting outfield, but then like those guys are already going to be expensive, but. Like what's gonna be what's Otani if he gets outfield if he gets three more games in the outfield, right. what like what are people gonna pay that if they're an OPL and they're looking at a Shohei Otani that can play every single day without fail will be in their lineup his as long as he scores positive points. I'm gonna frame my my final response to this topic in a way that we can all be correct. <laughs> I think you I think you guys are right. I think yes, you're absolutely right, Niv. I think there's already a built-in premium that the market has been paying in standard leagues for Audenew for for this eligibility. I right. think I haven't been paying that premium, and I think maybe I have been not paying enough attention so, to. I guess you know like, that it is an extra buck or two, maybe. Now maybe it's not more than that. I don't think I would pay more than that, but you well, know. I just wonder. And this is not like a right now question, but I wonder if there's like an answer for you that that affects surplus calculator in some way. And I know we've talked about that sort of as a running thing, but like, as we are learning these things and sort of recognize, or maybe not learning, but like more fully recognizing the value in like positional eligibility, even if it's lesser, like, do you think that changes the way you do dollar values? Like maybe, maybe, maybe not. I I, I don't know that it can, to be perfectly honest with you, because I think it has to be the whole point. specific and roster well, and construction specific or correct right absolutely and and you know you you find less use of that multi position eligibility when you already have three or four options at that position that that player is giving you that extra spot in and i think that it's those sort of mechanics that any sort of dollar value whether it's the surplus calc the fangrass auction calculator anything any dollar values you bring to the table they're always going to miss that context that's not the point of them the point isn't to get Right. You know, a perfect price, a perfect, you know, incorporating every bit of context that possibly can. Do I think it would be, it could improve the surplus calculator dollar values to start to add some of those things? Yeah, maybe. But I think the the benefit doesn't justify the additional sort of changes that I would have to make where the there's just, there's just not enough marginal benefit to, to, to change things that way. I don't think, but it, it could be something that, that I take a look at and see, but it could also just be that the way I'm doing things structurally, there is a gap there, that there is something, you know, algorithmically that I could be doing better. And if I could, then, then I should incorporate that. But I think my simple answer is it's, it's hard to apply all of those sort of nuances into one set of dollar values. Cause that's not really what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's more sense. just, you know, because the same thing with like platoons, right? We've talked about this with platoon bats. So somebody like Jock Peterson, the surplus calc is going to spit out a dollar value and it's based on the projections projecting him for a whole season. But if he's got a drastic pl- platoon split, you could maximize the value you get out of him or maybe not, depending on whether you're a daily league, a weekly league, a head to head league, a five by five, a four by four. And it's, you know, so there's additional context beyond that or like a Rockies pitcher that you're never going to throw at home you're only going to throw on the road but if you just look at his season long totals it's going to say he's a one dollar pitcher but you can squeeze five dollars value out of him because you're only going to start him in favorable matchups so i think the other thing on the the multi-position eligibility that we haven't talked about yet but i think is gonna be really important as you look forward to next year because of the weird 2020 and the decision that Autonew made Autonew, the entity niv made <laughs> to basically 
grandfather people into their 2019 eligibility or the eligibility they earned in 2019, I guess I should say, there are a lot of guys losing eligibility this year. It's like I just I went and looked at three names off the top of my head because they happen to be on on teams that I'm that I these are guys I like. Jeff McNeil, who you just mentioned, Niv, second, third outfield this year, hugely valuable. He is on pace to be second base only next year. He's made a couple of appearances at third base, and we'll have to see what happens. Like, assuming the Mets actually get Lindor and Baez on the field at the same time, I assume that McNeil's going to have to find somewhere else to go. And so maybe he'll get third base back or maybe he'll get outfield back. But right now he's not on pace to do that. Brandon Lau is first base, second base outfield right now. He's going to keep second base and outfield, which are probably the more important ones, but he's going to lose first base. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's second base and outfield now, is going to lose second base. He's actually on his way to getting first base eligibility, possibly. I don't know if that'll hold up for the rest of the season enough for him to actually earn it. But there's going to be a bunch of guys who lose eligibility, and so do you the think prevalence we have, of those guys are going to be much lower. I actually answered the question I, interrupt, I was going to interrupt you with in my head as I asked it, which is, I mean, 2021 is the most inflated multi-position year ever, right? Right. Like Absolutely. It has to be. It has to be by default yeah. because you couldn't lose any eligibility in 2020. Yep. You can only gain. So that's a that's a really good point because I think like that, that Which, speaks to like m- maybe this won't be as much of a thing next year. Well, if anything, I'd say it would make it even more important because you have the, fewer. The very few guys. Yeah. Right. So it, it might even be more important to have a handful of those guys if you can get them because you won't have as many players on your roster that have second, short, and outfield or third base out everybody's a third base outfielder and things like that. So this is an interesting thought, but if you're in multiple leagues and if you finish top six in multiple leagues, and if you have the choice of which of those teams to enter an OPL, entering a team where no one else in your league is going to enter OPL is probably a smart move because the competition at auction to grab those multi-position guys. I mean, I, I think what we just talked about, like, it, you know, you were saying maybe it's a one, maybe a $2 boost in your home league to have a guy who plays multiple positions. And I think that's probably fair. I think that one, I, I think it's more like one than two, but it's something in that range. Fine. I think in OPL, it might be a four or $5 boost. And because of that, if you're in a league where there are two, three OPL teams, a guy like Josh Rojas, who is going to keep second short and outfield, I believe, all of a sudden, instead of being the like five to ten dollar guy he might be, you know, we'll see what projections come out at and how the rest of his season goes and all that, all of a sudden he becomes a ten to fifteen dollar guy, perhaps, because all of a sudden people are willing to way overpay for him. Whereas if you're the only OPL manager in your league, then a $5 Rojas, $7 Rojas, whatever it is, maybe he goes for a buck or two more to someone else and you have to bid $3 more than you would to get him, but you're going to get him at $3 more. And so, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm trying to think about whether or not that changes my strategy because I entered with my League One team. I will not be, if I enter with that team again, I will not be the only team in that league to enter OPL next year. I am very confident. Right. I'm not sure for any of my leagues I would be the only team though, so off to see. I'm going to be in the top six in most of I my think, leagues. I'll have options, I, but <laughs> I don't think any of my leagues that I entered 
were where where was I the only team that entered? So I think I League believe. One is probably the worst league to be an OPL in. We had half the OPL. league, right? It was six. We had teams seven to start. We had seven. seven, and we will have, I would guess, the top six next year, based on my attempts to get in the top six, and everyone's sort of thwarting me on it. I mean, these guys are paying attention to it, but they're you know it's League One, whatever. Also interesting. League but I think that's also- I think that's. Well, I was just going to say, I think that's totally right. And I think, you know, there's obviously second level stuff there where a lot of a lot of people have multiple teams and you have to think about which team you want to go to war with. But if you have somebody in OPL in one of your other leagues, like, how do you think about that? But this is like, this is part of the game, right? Like, I don't think this is like necessarily thinking outside the scope of the game. Like, this is what you should be thinking about when you enter OPL and when you're building your team, like, and, and putting together, you know, your various rosters. Was like, who am I up against, and and like, let me not just think of that on one dimension now. Let me think about that in in multiple dimensions. And that adding dimensionality to it is the goal. So, yeah, and I think it was successful in that, in terms of driving activity in in this in the home leagues. But yeah, Chad, that's a good point. I mean, it. I feel like if you were if you wanted to build an optimal. OPL entry from scratch, it might be something like a five by five league where there's a little less overlap between that and the strategies, the types of players you'd want to roster for OPL and a five by five league where you were the only entry. I feel like then you'd have less competition fighting over, you know, the catcher that that plays every day that is incredibly important in OPL because you don't have to carry four or whatever. And some of these other sort of other structural strategies that you wouldn't have to compete with with anybody else over some of those fringe players that have true value in OPL. So, yeah, there's some interesting yeah. questions too. I'm thinking about like the right time to answer that question of what team you're going to enter and figure out how to start building that roster is now. And the reason I mention that is like I'm looking at League One right now since that's the league I entered this year and sort of wondering if I should be considering trying to acquire an injured $8 Kavan Biggio, who has second base, third base outfield this year, is still set to be third base outfield next year, and if the Jays don't bring back Marcus Simeon, could very easily get second base again a few games into the season next year. And he could be a really nice OPL piece, and maybe I can get him right now and and sit on him into next season i'm sort of poking around now wondering like are there trades i should be making now and this gets even further into what niv was talking about before which is like i'm also in fourth place or third place fourth place i'm in the top three or four in a league where the top four get paid i want to get that third spot i want to get the bigger payday biggio is not a move i would be making that would help me much this year well to be clear he wouldn't help me at all this year he's been bad and now he's hurt so right that's not a move i'm making for this year but do I want to give up trade pieces to try to get him? Or do I want to try to grab a, I don't know, Vidal Bruhan, Bruyan, who looks like he, although he guess has to be only outfield next year at this point. I don't know. I like I'm I'm just trying to like poke around and figure out like are there moves I could be making right now to pick up players who are going to be uniquely OPL valuable. And if not now, again, this could now getting back to this, if you're the only OPL manager in your league in the off season, 
right? Yep. Where where is a guy who is a five or six dollar value in a home league, but an eight to ten dollar value in OPL priced at seven dollars, where he'd be super easy to acquire in the offseason because his manager is thinking, forget it, this guy's overpriced, but he has value to you for OPL. Yep. So if you can <laughs> figure out this stuff now and start making moves now because there's there's an opportunity to sort of structure your team early if you can get the right moves made. And if you can finish top six, because you need to be top six to qualify yeah. next year. So that's the thing. I can look at the I can look at that decision right that this choice right now in League One because I think it'd be very hard for me to fall out of the top six. I'm just right. looking. I moved back up to third today. So I'm in third place. I, it's a four-by-four four league. I have 67 points. The team behind me has 66. That's the team I'm really fighting with because we're not going to catch the team in second with 79. But then the fifth-place team only has 58, and the sixth-place team has 49.5. And there's a bunch of teams at 49.5, 49, Nivs at 47, and then 45.5, where all of those teams... like Wait a minute. I'm at 47? I had uh, a good day today. <laughs> you're down a point today, actually. Oh, at so 47? Down to 47. Oh, man. You should pay I'm better shocked. attention I was to at, your team. <laughs> I was at 45. I was at 44 and a half two days ago. I just, I missed that. That's awesome. The thing that's interesting anyway, is like, those you're, you're, teams, you're not, you're not, you're not missing OPL qualification. In no, no, I'm, I'm going to qualify. But there's you're a good. bunch of teams in fifth through eighth in this league that are theoretical buyers to try to get into OPL next year, who I could look to make a trade with. And maybe I'm going to go look at Niv's team right now and figure out like, huh, he's got that Jeff McNeil who hasn't been that great and who has lots of eligibility. I don't know. He has, he has Nico Horner who has lots of eligibility. I don't know if Horner's going to keep his though. I should check that second base shortstop next year is going to lose third base. So he's got some multi-position guys who are not doing a ton to help him at the moment. Maybe there's a trade I could make to give Niv some help he needs now for guys who seem super useful to me for OPL next year. Then Niv's got to decide, is he willing to give up an interesting OPL 2022 piece in order to qualify for OPL 2022, yeah. <laughs> which he might have to do. I don't know. It's just yeah. it, these are these are things that like last year, it never would have occurred to me to reach out to the seventh or eighth place team, whatever Niv is in my league and say, well, I'm in third and say, Hey, do you want to trade for a big bat and give up some future OPL value? Yeah. And we, and we have that right now. We have this dog fight right now from sixth to like ninth. And, and it's a dog fight that would have been completely irrelevant last year. Yeah. Or any, you, you really could use one of my injured first baseman, but they're all hurt. So I can't, I can't. <laughs> well, <laughs> We can talk about that later, I guess. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I, all to say, this is like, this is super interesting stuff, and I think it has done the thing that it needs to do, which is make you guys think a little bit more. Yeah. Because yeah. you guys were not spending enough time playing auto new. That's why it's <laughs> not enough time immersing ourselves into yeah. the nuances of auto new. Niv's come uh, full circle because at the beginning <laughs> of this season, we had that episode where he was like, don't overburden yourself. <laughs> Burnout is a real problem. Take yeah, care of I mean, yourself don't first. Take and now he's teams. like, but <laughs> burn out on do one more. team. <laughs> do one team and overinvest and all the way. Yeah. Yeah. The final thing I wanted to talk about now, I tasked everyone with bringing me a name, and I don't know if you guys have one to share or not, but I'm going to share mine. I wanted 
everybody to sort of predict one player that they thought might make the difference between uh, a team winning or losing in that final matchup of the season. So do you guys have a name that you want to mention as somebody you think might be relevant to deciding the OPL championship or should I just... I've got, I've got two I can throw okay, at you. Okay, cool. Yes, please. The first one is a guy who is only on one team. The team he's on, though, is the Klongaus Cricket Club, which is, I believe, the the one seed, for lack of a better term, since there's not yeah, actually yeah, anything, but, but the strongest team. team. They won the regular season, yes. I to say. And the, Jason's team, Jason's the manager of the team, Jason has Ty France on his team. And Ty France is first base, second base, third base eligible, and has a history of hot streaks the ability to go off at any time and i think there's a very real chance that ty france could put up real big numbers over a two-week period and like he's the kind of guy who could be a surprising top scorer on a team over a two-week period yeah and so i'm i that that's one of the guys i think is a possibility. The other is a guy who's on more teams. He, he's actually on my team, and I thought he would be a difference maker for my team, but I think he's coming back too late, and that's Travis Darnot. This is a guy who has, a in the past, been a legitimately elite fantasy catcher, particularly for Autonew. Not consistently, but at times. And I think one of the things that, that I've heard a lot of teams talk about is discomfort with carrying too many catchers because it's just hard to get points from too many catchers in this format. And I think some team there's, there's, I think going to be three teams left, two or three teams left after this round who have Darno sort of full time. Cause he, he's coming back, I think today. And those teams are going to have an extra catcher. It's an extra catcher who also qualifies at first base, which makes him a little bit less likely to get stuck on your bench when he has a good day. And I think that can make a really big difference for some team that manages to max out catcher points over the course of a two-week period because they got Darno back. Yeah, I like both those calls. And I think with especially the Thai France, I think the real answer when we look at this after the season's up is definitely going to be somebody like that, that it's just sort of a surprising, you know, I'm not going to say nobody. I don't mean to disparage a Major League Baseball player, but someone that you wouldn't have expected to really perform like that. But I think that's a good call. The, the The player that I mentioned is that I wanted to bring up, I wanted to pick a pitcher because I think that somebody that gets five really high-quality starts over a 14-day period uh, or four high-quality starts over a 14-day period could be the difference. And I'm going with Chris Sale. He should be back. He's scheduled to start this Saturday. And I, I think he's going to be back to basically the Chris Sale that we all expect. And that could be a huge difference maker. Now, he's only on, just like Ty France pick, he's only on one roster. So I, I'm, I'm sort of hedging my bets that he even gets to that final game. But if he does, I think he could be a difference maker. At the very least, I think he could be a difference maker in the next round and then in the semifinals. Yeah, I think the thing with Sale, so first of all, I think you're overstating things a little bit because four starts is not possible. There's no right, way. right, right. If right, you start right. on day yeah, one, yeah. you'll get day one, day six, day eleven out of fourteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So right. no one's getting four starts. I think where Sale is a really unique choice is he is going to have to work his way back, which means for the next couple of weeks he's probably going to be limited a little bit. Which means in the quarterfinals he's probably not going to give you seven, eight innings very often, if at all. But 
He's also the one guy who, as we get later into September, his team is like the Red Sox are not going to go easy on him because they can't, right? They actually have to get him up to speed and ready to go deep into playoff games. And so at a time where I think a lot of other aces were like a Kevin Gaussman might start throwing fewer innings as the Giants start to save bullets, where a guy like Walker Bueller might throw fewer innings as the Dodgers start to save bullets for, for the playoffs. Sale is the one guy who has the ability to be an elite ace level Cy Young caliber pitcher who could swing one of these matchups, who if he's going strong and he goes seven, eight innings, the Red Sox are still going to be stretching him out and giving him a shot to do that. And so I think it's a real, I think he's a unique choice among those starters because of that. And I really like that choice, but it's like two to three starts, not four to five. Yeah. 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 I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, math is hard. Still, <laughs> still, you know, a good, like there's a lot of chatter about having like three or four starters going on the same day or whatever, like that kind of collision. But at the end of the day, like it's better than having zero. So the more starters you can get, I think a pitcher is actually a really great call because if one guy gives up a home run, all of a sudden your your pitchers on the bench start becoming pitchers in your lineup. So that that I like that pick. If he starts every five days, and which is a big if, that's that if is doing a lot of work. It does look like he would be starting the thirteenth, which is the first game, the first day of the finals matchup. So. He might be able to squeeze in three starts then. Yeah, yeah um, three and a one guy going three starts for you in a round, which is like right needs to start in the first three days, right? So yeah. for me, like I, I was going through it and I was looking at players that are only on one roster and it's really hard to find somebody like super compelling outside of the guys that you guys picked. I imagine it'll probably just be a couple of teams that are a little bit like do you do you think that the teams in the finals are going to be like really share a lot of players because those are the players who did well in the semifinals? Or do you think there's going to be like... I think there's going to be a fair bit of overlap. I think we're going to see a, a decent amount of Otani and Vlad. And those might actually be the best answer, right? It might just be Otani. Otani's yeah. going to win a championship if there's thinking. no overlap in that final match. If, if Otani is by himself or if Vlad's by himself, like especially if it's Otani, because Otani yeah. just gets you points uh, on so many different days. And... You know, the dream is not dead for outfield eligibility, which would really make him a monster in the last couple of rounds for teams that still have him. But, there, you know, there's not there's not a lot of players that are 100% rostered. There's also very few players that are uh, 1%, like one team rostered. So I'm really interested to see in the ways that this lines up. I, I just really couldn't. I looked at Mike Trout for a second and I was like, all oh, right, Mike Trout now is not coming back maybe. And he's on one team, but that team is 200 points out. And like, the number of things that need to come together for your one unique pick in OPL to be the guy that that is the right answer to Justin's question is is a lot of things. It, it might just be Otani. He's on seven of the sixteen teams in the playoffs right now, so he's you're getting you're picking somebody who's on more rosters, giving you a better chance of. But yep. then again, there's also a bigger chance of there being an overlap. They just in that, punched out title yeah. matchup. Yeah, punched out. So. Yeah, actually, I was going to look. I how many of those teams that have him right now are winning well i didn't see that but i know because there is there is a very real possibility that we're a week away from otani basically being worthless yeah right yeah because if, if, it's just if, four... if those teams all advance there will be one t- there would theoretically be one team without him and seven teams with him and that one team without him 
will need him to be bad, I guess. But everyone, like six of the seven teams who have him, he literally won't matter. Yeah. He could hit him. 75 home runs over a two-week period while striking out 350 batters and have no impact on any matchup, <laughs> which would be... I'm Yeah, I mean, would we be... Would we be surprised if every team in the semifinals, the top four, all had Otani? I, it might I not be, be too surprising, you know? Yeah. And, yeah, it's going to be interesting to track that, too, because he's just been... I mean, so I am noticing so now good. there is at least one matchup right now where there are Otanis on both sides. Uh, there might be more than that. Yeah, which wouldn't surprise me. There yeah, two, so you get... Yeah, there are so two matchups right now. that So we're, we're going to be down to no more than five, five yeah. Otanis. Yeah, that's cool, man. Five out of eight, right? And that means if if any of those five match each other, which is there's an over fifty percent chance of that, right? So, right. I mean, even seven out of sixteen right now is pretty remarkable to me. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't looked to see if that's it's got to be the highest, one of the um, highest. Yeah. yeah. Eric Haas is on eight teams. Why? Yeah. Okay. Well, because he's catcher right. outfield. Catcher oh. outfield. He, he's a, yeah, he is yeah, a catcher yeah, yeah, yeah. who plays every day and has outfield eligibility. He is legitimately a OPL superstar. No, no, no. I, <laughs> when you said Eric Haas, I, th- I thought I was missing a Murr that got cut off at the end of that. So that's why I said why. <laughs> I don't think Hosmer is on that many teams. Let's see. Eric Hosmer is on one <laughs> team. It. But his team is going to survive in advance because his team is against my team. So good for him. Yeah, I would, I would guess that you know the highest roster percentage is probably someone on the sixty. Yeah, that, it, Mitch Moreland sense. is also on eight, and he was one of the sixty-day guys, right? And like Mitch Moreland's not gonna like, it's not gonna be one of those guys. It's gonna be well, I don't know, maybe we'll see. Uh, it's really, it's really gonna be interesting to see, I guess. We'll have to do an additional review episode where we see the way these you know, teams, what the way these teams end up being different. Maybe we should do an episode during during the finals or something that's focused on just. How are these rosters yeah. the same, and how are these rosters different, and what do we think about if there's any long-term stuff to learn so, from that? As of right now, for what it's worth, it looks like, if things hold, there will be three Otanis eliminated out of the seven. The two that There's the two head-to-head matchups where one has to be eliminated, and then there's one Otani that is... Well, he won't be eliminated if he goes on that heater you just talked about. It's 750 home runs or whatever. (laughs) I think I said 75. But yeah, fair enough. That would probably still be enough. So so you have have four out of eight. And so there's a chance that they could all go through. That would be really interesting. Yeah. And that's another thing I am super thrilled about is random matchups. I know a lot of people are frustrated with them is what I would say. Not mad necessarily. I don't think anybody is outrightly called for them to be gone but it's obviously frustrating if you are the second seed and you get the third seed as i think happened this year in the first round of the playoffs but it's also super or if you cool the top 16 and you end up or top 32 and end up facing each other right away yeah yeah wahoo sorry about that man that that reminds me by the way i i wanted to mention that there are two managers that have two teams in this top 60, 16 right now which is which is pretty remarkable That's incredible. and was worth mentioning so as, uh, there, I will say that a lot of te- a lot of people um, entered a lot of their teams right away when we made the announcement uh, on the live show way back when, and when we, excuse me, when we, when I expanded to 240, a lot of people have four or five, six teams entered. So this is not to diminish the accomplishment. I think that's a great accomplishment. I think it'll be very hard to duplicate in the future. 
given qualification and given that everyone's going to know this is coming and know to sign up for it. And I, I remember there was some chatter in the forums for actually requesting a, a, a max, a cap on how many teams a, a owner could enter, a user could enter. That's not going to happen. But I thought there were at least three owners that had two teams. There three might managers. be. I, I knew of two. So who, sure. who are the two you know of? The two That's awesome. clubs, Jason's teams, right. and then West, Westy's got two. He's got... Bill, also... The team I'm facing is Vic Sayre, oh, okay. and that's he 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 co-managed. I think that's that, co-managed. But yeah. He also has Paging Doctor Andrews. Okay. so three. You're right. You're I mean, right. Mad, pro- mad props to, to all three of those uh, players for for getting two teams in. That that is that is impressive dedication to the craft. I would say. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I think the last note you have here, and I'll I'll go ahead and say it. You got to qualify in 2022. Make sure to qualify. Get your teams in the top six, eke it out, and then and you are use going all the stuff we just talked about. And you are going to restrict it to leagues that do not have those five MLIB rules or coupons or some of those ancillary sort of... Any any home league rules, we're going to try to not let you in, or we're not just not going to let you in. And if you do get in and I notice it, you will be refunded and you will be taken out. So... Yeah, we don't want no no arbitration coupons, no five MILB, no X prospects, none of that stuff. Like I, I know, we've had conversations about the varying amounts of those quote unquote help, but it's just going to be a blanket rule to make it easy. Uh, if you have a league constitution that has custom rules in it, or if you have a league note that has custom rule in it, that you know we don't we don't provide on the platform. I just want to make it a level playing field so as, as many of the teams can know that they're playing the same game in a sense there's still obviously four by four five by five and points and all that stuff but yeah but standard yeah there was those are yeah and there's a reason well i mean this is like a whole nother episode to talk about why five milb is not a rule that we we support but you know we can save that for the next casual talking for an hour about opl (laughs) i thought we were gonna be done if 45 minutes but we're back to our we're it's back like we never it's like we never <laughs> left <laughs> we're back with our hour-long episodes with a kind of randomly at the end but hey that's what that's what the listeners listen to us for that's right? what we're here for <laughs> all right i want to thank everybody for listening and thanks to chad and niv for we're getting back into this and and hopefully we'll have some more episodes uh, back on a somewhat regular schedule i know we've got a couple of vacations coming up so it may not be every week here at the end of august but definitely as we get into september I'm trying to get back into doing this once a week. So thank you for listening and we will catch you next time.